Well, good morning. It's good, good to see you, everyone out this morning. If you have your Bible, let's turn to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37, we're going to be reading verses 5 through 11. And then would you mind standing for the reading of God's word? Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, Bless you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's not in the text. <laughs> uh, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Uh, shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow down ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the, kept the saying uh, in mind. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we uh, come before you this morning again, as Pastor Mike, I just pray, Lord, for you to be honored and for people's hearts to be penetrated and uh, that lives will be changed. And we know that, Lord, human effort cannot do that. So, Lord, we preach uh, not for uh, self, but for your honor, for your glory, for the edification of people, not to entertain, but to challenge, to see lives changed, for people to think deeply about you, and themselves and others around them and the world that they have time uh, as they're on earth to think about where their life is going. Uh, we pray, pray that during these few moments that we spend together that you would make that clear to them. Help them to think rightly and see soberly where their life is headed. And if there needs to be a change, I pray that you would move upon their hearts to bring about that change. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. So I ran across a story this week about a Texas dad who was on vacation with his family. That Texas dad not being me, of course. I don't have his name because he was unwilling to give it to the reporters because of the incident. Well, on this particular family uh, outing, uh, they had a little bit of excitement in the family vacation other than planned excitement. Uh, he had left from Texas with his family. They had spent the night at a hotel in Memphis, and then they had launched out, uh, taking different shifts driving. And so as they were on this particular shift of the driving tour, they had stopped like we all do on vacation because 
the vehicle that you're driving eventually runs low and you need fuel and you also want to eat. And so you make a stop. And so the family made a stop along the way because they were about to change drivers uh, and then be able to make on the next journey. Uh, and so the dad, after he had put in uh, the gas, it looks like he had paid for the gas right up front uh, by cash. And then because he had used less money to fill up the tank than what was necessary, he went inside to get the change that was left over from the gas. Uh, and as he went inside, something happened. As he was getting change, the van in which their family was in, the vehicle pulled off and left him behind. The reason was, was that uh, they had planned that because of the person who had been sleeping on that shift was now taking over the drive, the plan was for him to get into the back of the van, into that location, and to go to sleep, and then they would, he would rest for the next leg, and whoever else that was that was taking over would drive uh, for that part of the journey. Uh, but as a result, what ended up happening was that they must have thought that he was already in the back, so they closed all the doors, thought that he was locked up, and then they left and pulled off. Of course, you can imagine as a dad, you're at the gas station, your family has left you. Uh, you want to get in contact with them. Uh, he did not have his cell phone with him. It was inside the van charging on the charging station. So he went inside, borrowed one of the phones that was near, and started to call the phones that were in the vehicle that were there. There were six phones, including his, in the vehicle. No one answered the phone. He called his own phone several times. And at first, it would ring. Then eventually it got to the point where it went straight to voicemail. That was odd. And so when he did not get a resolve through trying to call them and reach them with phone, what ended up happening was that he called the police, ended up at a motel where he got onto the internet, jumped on Facebook, and found his family member browsing Facebook in which he was able to contact them and let them know, you have left me <laughs> behind. <laughs> By the time he made contact with them, they were over 100 miles away. Thankfully, they did decide to turn around, <laughs> make the 100 miles back, pick him up, and leave. He told the news reporters that he did think it was a huge mistake. Now, I did ask, I thought about this, and as I was contemplating this whole story, uh, questions were arising in my mind like, really? No one didn't notice Dad was not in the back sleeping? All those phone calls, everybody's phone continues to ring. It's the same strange number that just happens to touch everybody's phone in the vehicle, even dad's, and no one answers? And then what about that whole issue about going to voicemail? Phones just don't go to voicemail suddenly when they've just been ringing, and now all of a sudden they switch over. Somebody does that when they power down the phone. Hmm, did they really want dad on the vacation? <laughs> But if you think about it from the dad's particular point of view, how must he have felt in his heart towards his family after that situation? I'm sure that the questions that I asked, he himself had pondered in his own mind. Why did my family leave me behind? 
Well, the reality is there are moments in our lives where situations like this arise, and when we are found in these situations, what they actually do for us is test our heart. That is, what's going on in our private inner worlds, where our thoughts are, where our emotions are, that's where what happens when these life tests come up. And depending on what we're doing with our private inner worlds, whether we're doing something or not doing something, influences the outcome of the direction of our lives. And so in light of that truth, in light of that reality, today I want to look at, in the text, not the main star. Uh, he's going to be the main star for the rest of the duration of, of Genesis, except for a smaller uh, section that's taken out for his brother Judah. But I don't want to focus on him today. I want to actually focus on the supporting actors in the text, his brothers. Because I believe that there's something that we can glean for them that's useful for our lives now in the 21st century. Because there's something that's happening to them that is of use to us and important to us. And so I want to raise the first idea, which I've already mentioned in the introduction. In this life, your heart, your private world, and what's going on in your private world will be put to the test through the circumstances of life. So we return to the text this week. Uh, we are in a dream text. We've encountered them before, but these dreams are different. Unlike all previous dreams, the deity does not appear nor makes comments to those who are having the dreams. This one is totally symbolic, and so it requires interpretation. Now, the dreams serve purposes for each person. For God, the dreams are serving to advance his agenda. God is using the dreams to accomplish purposes that he had laid out many years before. We simply need to go back and read the text in Genesis 15. We see what God's purposes are, and we see how the dreams fit into him getting to that end. For Joseph, the two dreams together, not separately, but together, work to let him know that perhaps he has now been selected by the deity of their family, God, the creator of all things, to play some role of leadership in the family. There are no specific details given of timing, what role that will be, or where that will be, or even what it will look like, just that there will be some role of leadership. But in that, it also gives us a chance to get a view into his character and where he's at in his life. For the brothers, this becomes a test for them, an opportunity to reveal what's going on in their hearts as they face another life situation that brings out what's on the inside and what's happening in their hearts. And so this becomes an occasion for that to happen. Let me begin by summing up the scenario of what's going on. Let me backtrack to what Pastor Mike shared with us last week. First of all, we saw in the text that this trend of favoritism, this sin that is uh, become part of the tradition of their family has now continued. Jacob has taken what was to the wives and now extended it to his children. He played favorite with his, with his wives and now he's playing favorites with his children. And in this particular case, he has chosen his favorite child as being the favorite child of the wife who was his favorite wife which makes sense. So that's kind of how it's playing out. And that child happens to be, just because of the way things work out in the world, Joseph. He didn't choose it. He didn't pick it. It just happened as a result of him being born to his mother. And so he's selected by his father for that. We also found out last week that at some point when he's 17 years old, when we compare it with verse 13, we realize that it's most likely at his father's bidding that he's an obedient child. He goes and he comes back and gives a report on what his brothers are doing. 
But we find out in the text that he gives a bad report. Now, if we take that, those two words that are used there in the Hebrew and then we compare them, where's the closest parallel? We end up in Numbers chapters 13 and 14. Now, if you don't remember what happened in Numbers chapter 13 and 14, let me just remind you. It was when the spies were sent by Moses into the land, and when they came back, the ten gave a bad report. It was a perspective on events that was slanted towards the negative side. Same kind of thing going on here, most likely. It's a report that is slanted towards the negative. We also find out that Joseph has been given a position of authority over his brothers, not necessarily to work the fields, to, to go out and manage sheep, but his father has elevated him above them to more of a managerial position, as evidenced by the jacket he's given to say that he's been put in charge. And so in light of all of that, when we put all those details together, it kind of gives us a picture of perhaps what Joseph was like at age 17. He's an obedient kid, that is, he follows his father's orders, but in light of his brothers, he's most likely perhaps spoiled and bratty. And that's the kind of person he is at this point in life. But it's not these things that create the animosity in, their, in, their, in the brothers' hearts that end up growing in their hearts, but it's what verse 4 says. Look at the text with me. Notice what it says there. When his brothers saw. It was these open displays of favoritism, whatever Jacob was doing in relationship to Joseph, that caused a seed of hate, of animosity towards their younger brother to start to grow. I do find it odd that the person who's the culprit is the person they're not mad at. They're mad at the beneficiary of the culprit, which often that's how it works in favoritism. You know, you're, you're angry. You're not angry at the right person. You're angry at the wrong person. It wasn't Joseph's fault. It was Jacob's fault. But they're not angry with him. They're angry with their brother because he's the one enjoying the benefit instead of them. And so hate starts to grow in the heart because of these open displays. And as their inward world begins to change and becomes distorted in relationship to their brother, it can't help but come out. And what does the text tell us? It comes out, first of all, in their speech. They can't speak peaceably to him. And whenever our hearts turn toward others, our mouths will follow. And that's what ends up coming out. It's into the midst of this family tension that's going on that Joseph dreams a dream. Now, I, I tend to think here, my personal opinion from looking and reading the text, I tend to lean towards the idea that the author is portraying Joseph at this point in his life as a morally good person but immature. And the reason I say that is because Joseph seems to lack relational awareness and wisdom. In light of the dreams that he has and in light of the tension that he feels as he has been interacting with his brothers and there's always been some hostility there, it seems odd that he would then share the dreams with them. But that's to be expected if you're immature and you lack wisdom. And that's most likely what's going on in his life right now. Now, the first dream is agricultural imagery, the second one, astronomical imagery, but both dreams have the exact same message despite the imagery that's used in them, which the brothers interpret and the father interpret for us. What is the meaning of the dreams? They tell us directly by their questions that they understand the dreams to mean that at some point that Joseph will rule or have some, occupy some position of leadership 
within the family. Now, with one dream, they could have chalked it up to just youthful arrogance that he had a dream and this was the desire of his heart to run rule over them because he had already been elevated in the family by his father. And maybe it was just that. But the second dream should have caused them to take pause. Because in the ancient world, the view was that dreams were a means of divine communication. And as a result of that, they should have said, perhaps God is on the move. But, but there's not a humility that happens in their heart, but a resistance to the fact that God has now perhaps selected Joseph. I want you to notice their reactions. Look at verse 5, verse 8, and verse 11. Notice what the text says. They hated him even more. The word there is a play on Joseph's name. They added hate to hate. They added hate to hate. And at the end, they added to their hate jealousy. There are a growing sense of negative thoughts and emotions and, and jealousy at the end when they start to suspect that it's not just dad, but God has selected Joseph. Now it shifts to jealousy. I don't like the fact that God might have picked him to rule. And so in their hearts, they began to harbor these negative things. Notice how the father reacts, though, to this same things. Verse 11. Notice his heart. And his heart is love towards Joseph. Now, at this point, he does think by telling the second dream that Joseph has stepped over the bounds of what a son should do in relationship to his father. And so there is a, a sense of anger uh, or strong, stern talking to, if you will, to put Joseph back in his place. Boy, you stepped over the line. You think your mother and I are going to bow down to you? What? You better get yourself in place, brother. You know, I'm the dad of this family. And that's kind of the, the sentiment. But notice what he does in his heart. He does not harbor jealousy or hate, but he ponders. Perhaps God is going to do something with my son. In looking at the brothers, I can't help but reflect on a text earlier that's already happened with two brothers. It's what happened with Cain before he murdered Abel as God intervened when he saw negative emotions and thoughts growing in Cain. And I want you to see what God says to Cain before anything bad happens, when his inward world has turned in a bad way. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. See, Joseph's brothers fall into the same trap that Cain falls into. And that is the reality that this growing hostility that they have towards their brother because of what their father is doing goes unaddressed. And as a result of that, they end up following in Cain's footsteps. They do a terrible deed like Cain does a terrible deed because the matters on the inward world are left unaddressed. See, when our thoughts and our attitudes begin to sour towards other people, it's going to affect the way we interact with them. You should expect that. When your inner world is disturbed and, and, it, and it's ripped apart or, or it's in a hostile way towards someone else, you should expect that what comes out of you is hostility towards them. And when they receive benefits, you'll find yourself in a negative light looking at that. See, there are going to be these tests in your life that are going to show up to reveal what's going on in your inner world. 
See, others don't have access to what's going on in your thoughts and your emotions, your attitudes, and at times, you can mask it. But life will bring about tests that force you to bring out what's hiding on the inside. And that's what we see in people's words. I like the way Dr. Wayne Grudem talks about this when he was talking about this text. He said, look, God will let different heart tests come into our life. Friends might turn against you. It might be illness that goes on for some time with no evident solution. It might be a financial setback that you didn't plan for. It might be difficulties with children, with parents, with neighbors, or a thousand other things. It might be temptation to do wrong so that you can receive great gain. But in all of this, in every situation that shows up in your life, God is watching. See, your heart will be tested in this life. And depending on what's going on in your heart will determine what comes out of you in those moments. In light of that fact, then what is the solution for those who want to walk with faith in God? But we will not find the answer in our Genesis text because the brothers do not find the answer there. They will succumb to their negative feelings and emotions, and we'll see what they do next week as a result of not addressing their inner worlds. But we do find uh, an answer in the book's of wisdom, specifically the book of Proverbs, chapter 4 and verse 23. Here is what Solomon says to his son to address his inner world so that he might live a life that is pleasing to God. He says to him, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Solomon says to his son, son, you've got to guard your private inner world from uh, things that will come in that will tempt you to do wrong or the motives or hearts or your responses to the life test that will want to cause you to go down b bad paths. Your heart has to be protected and guarded from wanting to do evil. And he says the reason why is because whatever's going on in your inner private world will ultimately determine what comes out of you on your outer world as you interact with people and the world around you. And so the control center that must first be addressed is what's happening to that area that no one else has access to, your private world. And because it controls everything else that's happening in your life, as a result of that, it must be given priority over the other concerns of things you're trying to protect in your life. That the greatest concern you ought to have in your life is the condition of your heart. That ought to be at first and foremost. Jesus seems to, to pick this same idea up when he's ministering and he his disciples are being challenged about ritual practices of the day, about washing hands before eating. And Jesus gets to the heart of the matter, literally here, as he says this. Are you, so, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. 
Wayne Grudem goes on to take up the image of this, and he says, Our hearts are like a stream of water, that's the picture here in Proverbs, that are continually flowing out, to, out of us to the world around us, and it's impacting people, everyone that we come into contact with. And this then gives us a reason as to why we see people do evil things. The reason you said the comment you said, the reason why you did what you did was because it was already in your heart. No, it wasn't a mistake what you said. That wasn't a false. It wasn't a joke. It was what was going on in your heart. It just found its way out into the world around you. The reason it came out was because it was already in you. Whatever's going on in your private world, it will find its way out in your words and your actions. We had this other story this week about a woman who had attended a, a women's conference, and there had been about 500 women there. One of the speakers was a lady by the name of Annie Chapman. She was the speaker for that specific session. And that day on that specific session, as sometimes you're the speaker and you're in and you end the session and things, people start to migrate out. Well, as she was getting her possessions together, you know, her books, her paper, her notes, her props, and as everyone cleared the room, and the room was empty, thinking she was alone. She noticed at the back, very back of the auditorium, there was still one woman sitting there. So she gathered up her stuff, and of course, she, you know, not sure about if the woman was just uh, responding to what she had ministered to about. She went over to sit down and talk with her. So she made her way to the back of the auditorium, and when she arrived there, she found this woman, head down, shoulders shrugged down, uh, and she began to, to sit down with her to try to start to, to minister to her, to see what was going on. She found out as she started to talk to the woman that this woman was a mother of three children. Her oldest son, who was 17 years old at the time, struggled with muscular dystrophy and had for most of his life been confined to a wheelchair. Not to mention that, but the other two younger children struggled with mental and emotional issues as well. And then she began to, to relate to uh, Annie what was going on in her marriage. And she said, I, I married a mean and hateful man, and he has made my life miserable. When it comes to caring for our son who's 17 years old, when he needs to go to the restroom and, and I need help to lift up his weight, my husband refuses to come in and help me care for our son and other things like that. She said, to make matters worse, this week I went to my father's funeral. I buried my father this week. And as I was there with my siblings, it came out that I was removed from the estate and from the will. And the reason my father took me out of his will and estate was because he hated my husband. And then she said something that shocked Anna and left her dumbfounded as how to respond. She said, the reason that I came for the, to this conference today was because I had one single prayer that I wanted God to answer. And this was my prayer. I prayed while I was here, God, I'm asking you to kill my husband because I feel trapped. I feel like a bird in a cage and I have no way. I need you to take his life so that I can have some freedom. She said in response to that, for the first time in her life, she has sensed God pressing on her heart words that she had never felt before, but she sensed God saying to her in response, but even a bird in a cage still sings. And God began to minister to her. 
See, whatever's going on in your inner world is going to come out in your words and actions. Dr. Grudemy goes on and says, see, our hearts include our deepest moral and spiritual convictions along with our feelings and our emotions, even our deepest and uh, spiritual and emotional convictions and moral convictions about our relationship to God. And thus the, the Proverbs, the writer Solomon says, in light of that truth, then you've got to guard your heart. So are you concerned about what's going on in your private world? Is that of concern to you or have you left it unattended like a field that's growing wild? Is it a cultivated field where you have put in time and attention or have you just let it grow wild and go in its own way? Solomon says you should pay attention. You need to give it care or bad things will grow up. How do we guard our hearts? Well, the three preceding verses of Proverbs tell us the answer. Solomon says to his son, my son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Solomon says, and we might broadly apply it here, he says to his son, take God's word, hide it in your heart. And by doing that, God will keep you from evil intentions. See, what we think in our private world ultimately directs our words and our actions. And what we think and feel are often influenced by something or someone else. And in light of that, Solomon says, then because you're going to be influenced, your thoughts, your attitudes, your emotions, your values, he says, let the primary influencer in your life be what God has said. Let that be the controlling influence in your life. And by that, God will keep you from fulfilling the desires of the flesh and evil intentions that our hearts are so prone to do. One writer, Sophie McDonald, she put it this way. She said, the Lord means for us to guard our hearts by filtering our emotions, desires, thoughts, and responses through his word. The psalmist put it this way. How can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? The way you guard your heart is invest scripture into it. It's God's word placed in your heart, kept under guard in your heart, and allowed to influence you that keeps you from going down the bad path like Joseph's brothers. Partner that with prayer and spiritual disciplines, such as corporate and private, and you will see a life that is guarded. That's how it happens. Now, I must say that there is something I must, must reiterate here that goes along with this. I, I say that with the assumption that you have a heart that's responsive to God's word. Because as we know from scripture and from many illustrations of scriptures, just because you have God's word doesn't mean you'll be responsive to it. You have to have a heart that desires to obey and please God. Now we know from the prophet Jeremiah as he spoke about the default position of the human heart, the private world, because it tends towards selfishness, that it always looks out for itself, that because of that, as a result, it tends to want to dismiss God's word. And so in order for us to, to be responsive, that means that we have to have 
a new heart. Now, that's what the text talks about, and this is what God promised in the new covenant, that he would give a new heart. That is, that a heart that has new desires, that desires to obey and please God. But that gift, that responsive heart, only comes as a result of faith in his son. See, what the scriptures show to us is the word of God is not just written. It's a living person. That person, John chapters 1, is the person of Jesus of Nazareth. And this new heart, this new desires that come as a result of coming into relationship with Jesus, desires to be under the lordship of Jesus. And because it desires to be under the lordship of Jesus, then when the written word is placed in the heart, the spirit takes that desire and light and and pairs those things together so that when God's word shows up and you have these other things into your life, the word shows up. And because you have a desire to live under Christ's rule, you attach yourself to the word. And then you seek to obey the word and do it despite how you feel about other things. And ultimately, the spirit is the one who guards and keeps your life from going down an evil path. But that only happens if you have a new heart. And that new heart only comes as a result of faith in Jesus Christ. But what can a new heart do when it's responsive to God and to his word in which God's word has been hidden? It allows you to pass the test of life in ways that please God. In closing, I'll share this illustration with you. It was, comes from a book by Miroslav Volf and called Free of Charge. And he tells this personal story at the, end, at the beginning of his life when he was early. He didn't find out about it until he was an adult. But when he was one year old, he had an older brother who was four years older than him. His name was Daniel. And at that point in their life, they lived in a certain area back in the 50s, late 50s. And this happened in 1957. Uh, that they were living, he was one, they had been left into the care of their aunt, Aunt Millicum. Because the parents had gone away, like we do sometimes with our kids when they're young, we need to go out and do other stuff or we want to go do things. And so we get a relative to look after our kids. And on this particular day, that's what happened. Our aunt was supposed to be looking after the two boys. Sadly, on this day, his, his older brother Daniel uh, got out of the care of the aunt and Sadly, she did not go to look for him, and so he went out to a place that he had been with his father and mother on many walks before. Two blocks down the road was a small military base. And on their walks, they had befriended some of the soldiers who were in training. And so because he had been there before with his parents and he knew some of the people there, he made his way down through the gate to the local uh, military base to hang out there for a bit of time. And when I was there, the soldiers, of course, didn't ask any questions about his parents, but just started to entertain themselves and play with the little boy. And one of the soldiers thought, hey, it would be a good idea if we could just put him on the back of this wagon, this little bread wagon with this horse drawn, so that he could have a little fun, you know, enjoy himself. So they put him up on the wagon, and the, the horses started to move. Uh, and as the wagon, started to, the wagon started to move forward, it went over an old cobble road, and his brother Daniel leaned his head to the side. Sadly, as he leaned his head to the side, his head got caught between the wagon and a post. When he got caught between the wagon and post, the horses kept moving, and it twisted his head. Seeing what was happening, the soldiers grabbed him to try to rescue him and then rushed him to the hospital. But on the way to the hospital, the little five-year-old boy died. The parents came back home to find that the child was missing only to look for their son, to find him at the hospital dead. They were grieved. You can imagine a parent who has left the care of your child in one of your siblings' care oversight, only to come home and find that you're now one child less. 
You can imagine how you felt about the soldiers, but specifically towards your own relative when they were irresponsible and caring for your child. Bitterness, anger, resentment, all those feelings can grow up. But what was interesting was what happened in the mother's heart, the sister. As she sat there looking at her dead son, she began to contemplate what was going on. And as those emotions began to rise, something else came up in her heart. She couldn't help but stop thinking about what Christ did on the cross for her. She could not help but remember how God's son had died so that her sins could be forgiven. And that reality, despite the pain she was feeling in the loss of her son, caused her to be able to release the bitterness, the resentment, and the anger towards her sister, so much so that her son, her younger son, never knew that her sister had been involved in the incident until he was grown. He asked his mother why, she said, because there was no reason, because of what God had done through Christ for me, I wanted to let her go. I wanted to release her. See, this is what happens when you have a new heart that's responsive and God's word has been hitting your heart. When the test of life come, and they will come, then your heart is positioned in a right way so that what is on the inside and what comes out is something that's honoring to God and a blessing to people. But that only happens if your inner world has been cultivated and taken care of. Don't be surprised on when you have situations show up in life if you act the way you act if your inner world hasn't been taken care of. Brothers and sisters, you should expect that things go wrong. But if you've hidden your God's word in your heart, if you've meditated upon it, in those moments when you would go crazy, God will keep you by his word. Brothers and sisters, pay attention to your inner private world, for out of it will flow into the world around it. It will direct the course of your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for allowing us to, to gaze upon the reality of your word. We thank you that we're reminded to watch our own lives. May we, Lord, like the Joseph's brothers, though, things that we don't desire might happen in our family context or other contexts. May we not choose to allow those negative thoughts, emotions to rule us. May we filter them, as Sophie McDonald said, through your word. Give us strength, Lord, to let go of those things so that we may honor you, that we may obey you, that we may serve you, that we might be pleasing to you in everything. We pray, Father, that our hearts will be humble before you, that we will accept what you're doing in the world, and that we will seek to glorify you in every way. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Would you stand?